All right. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses, meaning around the state of Minnesota, and to those of you watching online as well. Before I dive in, just want to remind you once again that next weekend we start our Christmas services, and I just want to ask you, who are you going to invite? Christmas is a time of year when people are open to an invitation to coming. We all want God to use us, and it's amazing how a simple invitation can introduce someone to Jesus Christ and completely change their life. And I just got to share with you, I have three people I've been praying for to come to Christmas this year and been just asking God for an opportunity to invite them. And out of the blue, one of them just started asking me questions about our church. And it was just a lead-in opportunity to invite them to come next week. And I was so grateful to God for that moment. And so I'm in this with you, and I hope you will invite as well. All right, today we're wrapping up a four-week series called Didn't See It Coming. It's based on the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. Life did not go as Joseph had planned. But today we're going to come to what I think is the key verse in the entire story. And this verse is so powerful that if you would believe it, I think you'd have more peace and less anger. You would have more trust and less resentment. It really is that powerful. If you've missed the last couple weeks, let me kind of set the stage for you. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and he's his father's favorite. His brothers know this, and so in a moment of jealousy and resentment, they sell Joseph to some slave traders who are headed to Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, he's sold to a man named Potiphar, and Joseph miraculously starts to work his way up in Potiphar's house, but then Potiphar's wife accuses him of a crime he didn't commit, and he gets thrown in prison. Eventually, he gets out of prison by interpreting a dream for Pharaoh. And he says, here's what the meaning of the dream is. There's going to be seven years of plentiful harvest. So there's going to be a lot of food in the land. But then on the heels of that is going to be a seven-year famine. So Joseph says, we should save up food in the seven good years so that we have some in the seven-year famine. Pharaoh is so impressed that he puts Joseph in charge, making Joseph the second most important man in Egypt. 22 years later, 22 years after his brothers have sold him into slavery, they leave Israel because they're hungry and need food, and they come to Egypt. And they find themselves standing face to face with their brother, the one who they had sold into slavery. Joseph could have killed them. He could have said, are you kidding me? Go back to Israel. I'm not going to give you food. But instead, he looks at them, and he says the verse that I referenced earlier that I think is so powerful. He says this. As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position that I have today to save the lives of many people. Joseph looked at his brothers and said, you intended to harm me. You intended to cause evil to me, but God is going to use this for my good. I want you to know today that if you love Jesus Christ... God can work all things for good in your life. That there is not one situation or circumstance that you are in right now that God cannot turn for your good. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I used to lead worship. Now, I, this is like 15, 20 years ago, so don't think I'm going to lead a song anytime soon. Fact is, I could play the guitar a little bit, but I couldn't sing very well at all. Now, you might say, well, how did you lead worship if you couldn't sing? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't easy. In fact, one time, my two main singers didn't show up. And so I went over to these two adult volunteer leaders, and I said, hey, I'm down two singers tonight. Can either of you guys sing? And they're both like, yeah, 
yeah. One guy's like, I'm actually pretty good. I said, great. Come on up and help me lead worship tonight. So we get up there, and the first song was Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. If you attended church in the 90s, you would have remembered this song. Okay, It was real popular. And so I kicked into the first part, and I said, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And then the other two kicked in. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I mean, it sounded like a cross between a dying coyote and a country western singer. That's how bad it was. It was so bad that after we got done with the chorus, I prayed and dismissed everybody. We didn't even do a full song. We did a part of a song. I'm like, let's pray. You guys are dismissed. Shortest service in church history. Afterwards, I was a little bit embarrassed, so I went out to the lobby to kind of clear my thoughts. And as I did, I almost tripped over this 17-year-old girl. She was sitting in the hallway sobbing. Not sniffling, not choked up. She was sobbing. And so I got down on her level and I said, I am so sorry. That was really bad. I'm not a great singer. Those other two said they could sing, but clearly they lack some self-awareness. And she said, no, 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 those lyrics. When you sang, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, I felt like God was speaking right to me. And I don't know if that was God. I mean, I might have been Satan. I don't know. Who could have been something else? I'm pretty sure it wasn't God. She said, no, no, no. When you sang those words, open the eyes of my heart. She said, I have closed my heart off to God lately. And I just knew I needed to open it up to him. And so I prayed with her right there in the hallway to put her faith in Jesus Christ. And I learned two things that night. First, I learned that God doesn't need me. God wants to use me, but he doesn't need me. And second, I learned that God can take something so bad and he can make it so good. Maybe today you can relate to Joseph. Maybe you were betrayed by a family member or a friend. You feel alone, used left for dead. Joseph went from being his father's favorite to being sold into slavery, and it happened in an instant. Nobody pulled him aside and said, hey, Joseph, just to give you a heads up, here's what's coming down the pike. No, it happened in a moment, and he never saw it coming. Let me ask you, is there something in your life right now that is so painful? It is so confusing to you. It is so uncertain And you look at it and you go, God, I I don't understand. Why is this happening to me right now? Why are you allowing this to happen? I I don't get it. How did this person able to hurt me like that? Or or why aren't my prayers being answered? I, I just don't get it. I've gotten emails in the last month from people who are going through a painful divorce. Been married for over a decade and never saw it coming. I got an email from someone who was reeling from an affair Found out some secrets that have been happening for a long time. Got an email from another person who they and their spouse were trying to have children but weren't able to. They said it was the most painful, confusing thing they had ever gone through in their life. Other people that I've talked to, their pain is more self-induced. They, they got drunk and they did something foolish. They hit someone, they ended up in jail, but in a moment, their life changed. I'm talking about the most painful moments of our lives, the kind of moment that can define you for years, where you wonder, God, can you restore me? Can I ever regain what was lost or taken from me? And maybe today you wonder, God, can you restore my marriage? 
Could you restore my faith? My future, my family, could you restore my reputation or my hope? And I want you to know today that God can work all things for the good of those who love him. That there is not one situation or circumstance that God cannot turn for your good. It's God's specialty. In fact, let me give you three ways that you can allow God to turn any event in your life for good. And here's the first one. You have to release your right to retaliate. So Joseph's brothers thought he was going to kill him. That's what they thought. Look at verse 15. It says, Joseph's brothers became afraid. Now Joseph will pay us back for the evil we did to him. Except Joseph didn't pay him back. Look at verse 19. But Joseph told them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? I'm guessing that Joseph had some anger that was welling up in him. It's the same feeling you might have felt when you saw your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend walk away with another guy or girl. Same feeling that you felt when your kids were getting in a car with a new stepmom or stepdad. But in this moment, Joseph released his right to retaliate. I've only been in one fight in my entire life. I was in high school, and I was playing snow football with some guys who lived in an adjacent neighborhood. And there was this one kid whose name I'm not going to mention for fear that he somehow sees this and tracks me down, <laughs> who didn't get the memo that we were playing two-hand touch. I later found out that he was doing steroids in high school. And so that made him quite ripped, but also prone to fits of rage. And so at one point, he pushed this little kid over, and as if that wasn't enough, he walked up and kicked him two times in the stomach. And so I walked over, and in my best Chuck Norris voice, I spun him around. I said, hey, knock it off. <laughs> and, and the kid who had gotten kicked, he literally just took his ball and went home. I mean, he just picked up his football, walked into the house. The rest of us scattered and went to our cars. But I could hear Ripped Boy behind me, and he kept yelling, you want a piece of me? And I'm like, no. No, I'm going to go home and have a piece of my mom's pie. You know, I don't want a piece of you. But, but he followed me to my car. And as I got to my car, he tapped me on the shoulder, and I was so naive. I thought he was going to apologize. So I turned around, and I was like, yes. And he got me right in the side of the head. And so I went down to one knee, and I was seeing stars, and I looked up at him, and I thought, oh, no, you didn't. And so I got up and just started swinging as crazy as I could. But I was wearing my Michigan starter jacket, which was like nine sizes too big for me. Yes, I was that kid. I was the white kid from Wyzetta who wore FUBU, Michigan starter jackets, and listened to Ice Cube, okay? Wasn't straight out of Compton. I was straight out of Wyzetta, but I didn't, I didn't know. But this starter jacket was so big and so, like, I couldn't even move in the thing. So I tried to get, but, and he hit me over the eye, and that was pretty much the end of it. For months, I fantasized about how I could retaliate. I thought, I'm going to get all my friends. We're going to show up at his house. We're going to jump him. I, I thought, I'm going to start a rumor and spread it around school about him. I'm going to hurt him as badly as he has hurt me. But then one night I was leaving a friend's house and I was driving through this neighborhood and I saw a teenager walking by himself and I realized it was him. And I thought, this is your chance. Creep up on him real slow and just pull open the passenger and pop him, you know? <laughs> Drive by smashing with the door. I don't know what I was thinking. And then I thought, I'll go back to the house, get my friends, we'll come back, we'll settle this. 
For some reason, I found myself slowing down, rolling down the window. I said, hey, can I give you a ride? And he looked in the back seat like, well, what's the trick here? And when he realized there was no trick, he got in. And I drove him to his house, and as we parked and he got out, he said, hey, sorry for beating you up. I said, oh, I got some good shots in, don't worry about it. And, and I said, oh, I forgive you. And you know what was weird? I never fantasized about retaliation again. But isn't that what happens to most of us? Somebody else hurts us, and we start to fantasize about how we can get retaliation. Physical, verbal, legal, financial retaliation. I need to repay evil for evil. I need to make them hurt as badly as they've hurt me. Look what the Bible says about this in Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. It's a direct command from God. If it's possible, and sometimes it's not possible, but he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Is there someone that you're not at peace with right now? He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you remember what Joseph said to his brothers? He looked at his brothers. He says, am I God? Am I the one who's going to judge you and punish you? What does that imply? It implies that God will judge and God will punish. I'm not God. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to punish you. But there is a God and he will judge and he will punish. When you repay evil for evil, you are not leaving any room for the vengeance of God. Bitterness is like acid. It hurts the container that it's sitting in more than the thing it's being poured out upon. You have to release your right to retaliate. Here's the second way that you can allow God to use it for good in your life. And that says, interpret your pain through the lens of God's purpose. So I've read the story of Joseph on multiple occasions, and I've never noticed a certain phrase before. But when I was studying it for this series, there was this phrase that just jumped out at me. Look again at what Joseph says. He says, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. The phrase that jumped out at me was, as far as I'm concerned, seems to indicate that not everybody saw it that way. Some people might have been looking at Joseph and going, hey, you, you need to repay your brothers for what they did to you. You need to get back at them. I don't think there's any way that God's going to use this in your life for good. I don't think there's any way this could be a part of God's plan. And Joseph is looking at his brothers and going, well, as far as I'm concerned, you intended it for evil, but God is going to use it for good. But God. Two of the most powerful words in the English language. My company is downsizing. But God. The cancer is back. But God. I'm really struggling with anxiety lately. But God. Joseph never thought he was going to end up in Egypt. It was never a place that he thought he would be. And maybe you find yourself in an Egypt of sorts today. Maybe you find yourself in a place of life and you go, I never thought I would be here. Joseph looked at his brothers and he said, as far as I'm concerned, the event was you sold me. But Joseph's interpretation was God sent me to save many people's lives. 
Joseph interpreted his pain through the lens of God's purpose. My son Jasper, when he was three years old, we took him to the doctor to get some shots. And he was just starting to learn that shots can be painful. And so he was screaming and he was kicking. And it was so bad that the nurse asked my wife, Sarah, she said, hey, can you pin him down for me? And so Sarah had to go over and you know, pin him down. She's trying to sit on him. And the nurse said, this will only hurt for a moment. And she started to put the needle in. And all of a sudden, my wife started going. And the nurse could tell. And so she looked at her and she said, ma'am, ma'am. And all of a sudden, my wife toppled over, fell right on my son. They had to like drag her over to a chair. She didn't pass out having her own blood taken. She was passed out with his blood being taken. When she woke up, Jasper was watching SpongeBob drinking a juice box, big smile on his face. Sarah got to watch SpongeBob as well. But can you imagine being a three-year-old in that moment? And you're looking at your mom, who you love and who you trust, and she's got this crazed look in her face, and she's trying to pin you down while this complete stranger jams a sharp object into your arm. In that moment, you're looking at your mom, and you're going, I thought you loved me. I thought I could trust you. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you allowing this person to hurt me? I wonder if that's how some of us are with God. That we look at a situation in our life and we go, God, I, I don't understand. How could you allow this to happen? I thought you loved me. I thought I could trust you. I thought my life was going to be so much better. God, well, why is this happening to me right now? But what if God isn't punishing you? What if God's preparing you? What if God isn't punishing you? What if God is protecting you? Could you look at the situation that you're in right now and go, as far as I'm concerned, you may have intended to harm me. You may have intended it for evil. But I believe that my God is going to use this for my good. Joni Erickson Tata is a famous Christian author and speaker. She travels all throughout the country and has influenced thousands of people for Jesus Christ. When she was a teenager, she stepped out on a dock by a lake in upstate New York near where she lived, and she underestimated how shallow the water was. She dove headfirst into the lake, snapped her neck, and was paralyzed for the rest of her life. When she became a famous Christian author and speaker, people would ask her, well, aren't you angry at God? Haven't, haven't you had some anger and bitterness towards what God allowed to happen in your life? I mean, come on. Here's what she wrote. I haven't been cheated out of being a complete person. That's what most of us would think. She said, I'm just going through a 40 or 50 year delay. And God stays with me even through that. I now know the meaning of being glorified. It is the time after my death here where I will be on my feet dancing. Joni Erickson Tata interpreted her pain through the lens of God's purpose. Here's the third way that you can allow God to use something for good in your life, and it's this. Stay with the story even when you don't like the scene. The story of Joseph had many scenes to it. There was the scene where his dad gave him a beautiful robe, and if you're Joseph, you're like, I like that scene. There was the scene where he has a dream that his brothers are going to bow down to him one day. If you're Joseph, you're like, I like that scene as well. Then there's the scene where your brothers beat you up, throw you in a pit, and sell you into slavery. You're like, I don't like that scene very much. 
There's the scene where you rise to a high position in Potiphar's house, like that one. But then there's the scene where you get accused of a crime you didn't commit and you end up in prison. Don't like that one. All of those are scenes, but that's not the story. When you read the story of Joseph, you realize it's a story of restoration. Here's what I want you to hear today. Stick with the story, even if you don't like the scene that you're in. Jesus didn't stay in the manger. That was a scene, but that wasn't the story. Jesus didn't stay on the cross. That was a scene, but that wasn't the story. In fact, let me ask you, if your life was a book, what would the title of the chapter that you're in right now be titled? Some of you would say, well, my title would be unimportant, uncertain, under pressure. Some of you would say that the title of this chapter I'm in right now is stressed, waiting, hurting, rock bottom. That's the scene, but that's not the story. God's story for your life is so much bigger than that. In fact, look at what Pastor Rick Warren says. He says, the events in your life work together in God's plan. Now, I need to point out that Joseph still obeyed God even when he was in a scene that he didn't like. Don't ask God to bless you when you're living in deliberate disobedience to what God has told you. Some of us are in a scene that we don't like because of a sin that we've refused to quit. Don't ask God to restore you, but you're hooking up with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You're living together. You're lying, you're stealing, you're cheating, you're hiding and covering up sin in your life. You've got to confess that. Stop doing that. That's when God can move you on to the next scene. Years ago, my mother-in-law gave me the Born movies for Christmas. So Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. And today, they're some of my favorite movies, but at the time, I hadn't seen them before. And so I'm watching the first movie, Born Identity, and Jason Bourne's character, played by Matt Damon, is being chased by these bad guys. And so he's with this girl, and they go to her uncle's farmhouse to try to hide out, and what they don't realize is that the bad guys have tracked him down. And there is a highly trained assassin with a high-powered rifle pointed right at their door the next morning. And so the morning comes and Jason Bourne goes over and he tries to start opening the door and the creepy music starts to play. And I'm sitting on my couch and I am clutching the cushions and I'm like, Bourne, don't go out that door. There's a highly trained assassin with a rifle, with a scope point. You're, you're a dead man. Come on, Bourne, think, think. And I'm getting all stressed out. And then I had this thought, there's a sequel sitting in my drawer. It's got Jason Bourne's picture on the front. He's going to be fine. And all of a sudden, I wasn't stressed out anymore. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know something today. There's a sequel. When the heavens and earth melt away, there's a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus Christ did not stay on the cross. There was a sequel he rose back to life. The stone was rolled away. The grave was empty. Death was defeated. God had the final word. Stick with your story. The story that God wants for your life. 
even when you don't like the scene that you're in. There's not a single one of us today who's too far from God, who's too broken, who's sinned too much. God has the final word. A couple weeks ago, I wanted the men and women of Teen Challenge to know that message. And so we brought Eagle Brook Worship and a message to one of their Teen Challenge chapels. Teen Challenge is a Christian addiction recovery ministry. They have many different programs, but one of the most intensive is you live there for about a year and you go through the addiction recovery, which is one of the most intense addiction recovery ministries in Minnesota, but also one of the most successful. And so while I was there, Pastor Rich, who works there, would have people introduce themselves to me, and he would say, hey, in 20 seconds, 30 seconds, tell them your story. And this one guy walks past, and he goes, well, I, I was doing meth for 30 years. I was in prison for 15 years. I was in a biker gang and selling drugs. But I came here, and I met Jesus Christ, and there's no place I'd rather be. And every person I would meet that day, God was restoring them. Not just to gain what was lost, but to gain something even further. More humility, more wisdom, more love for God. And I thought, this is what I love about Jesus Christ. That no matter who you are or what you've done, God can restore your life. No matter what your past looks like or what scene you find yourself in right now, God can restore you. And so we brought our whole team down to Teen Challenge to share that message with them. And I want to show you a video of what happened that day. And you're going to see some of the people who have been through their program talk about what God has done and how God has restored them. And your issue might not be an addiction. But I want you to be thinking, God, what is it that I need to be restored? Where is my life? Do I need God to change my heart and change my life? Take a look. <laughs> 